0: hello everyone welcome back to dancing around the questions i know it's been a while i'm going to say that's because this is the beginning of a new season of the podcast and you can choose whether or not you want to believe me but that aside, today's guest is a special. You actually already heard her on the previous episode that came out, gosh, almost two months ago. Her name is Anna Hukstra. She's a uh, professional Zook instructor who trots around the world sharing her knowledge of the dance. And she had a several-month residency in Richmond teaching a couple of series of Zook courses. And I managed to catch her for an interview right at the end of her time in the United States. So without further ado, here she is. How's your day been?
1: Yeah, pretty good. Nice and chill. Did some training and just chilled out and relaxed.
0: Just training on your own or were you with like- Camilla. Camilla.
1: Cool. Yeah. And she had some privates and today was my day off. Today was like, nope, no privates, nothing. I'm just gonna chill.
0: Until later on, right?
1: Yeah, until I teach tonight, and then later this week is just privates, 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 and then the weekend, are, boom, boom, and boom, then boom. crazy, yeah.
0: How many, do you have any free days left while you're still around?
1: Technically, yes, but I know how many privates I'm going to have next week, and so no. <laughs> okay.
0: Do you have to do a lot of like prep work for these? Do you know what people expect?
1: Mm, I don't really prep for privates, because I kind of go off for what that person needs, slash what they're asking for as well. So I usually like create the classes as the class is happening. Mm -hmm. So I'll dance with someone and then like all of a sudden I'm like, Oh this, okay, let's go this direction. And then from there I can see, I see something else and I'm like, okay, so this needs to work on this and this and this. Um, And I also try to generally go in like the direction that person wants as well. So I might get asked specifically for connection or counterbalance or lady styling or whatever it is.
0: Okay. Cool. I didn't, talk to anyone yet I think who does private so routinely so it's yeah nice to get a little and every
1: that. teacher has a different way of structuring things so yeah
0: cool how many did you do at Elevation ultimately
1: <sighs> 10 something like that 10 oh not that many just eight, 10 is a good number 10 Ten is enough mu- enough that I like made up the money I co- cost me to go to Elevation and then made some money by being there so it mm. was kind of perfect um But at a Congress where like I'm one of the artists lineup or something, I might teach 30. Like it just depends how much time you have around your workshops. Yeah. Like if you saw the private space, like where everyone was teaching their privates and stuff during the weekend, you saw that there were some artists who just didn't leave that space. So you had Guy and Kuna constantly there teaching privates. You had William and constantly teaching privates there. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't really get a lot of um, time to do other things. So I, I do like to make sure I leave space around privates to just go have lunch. Yeah. Because <laughs> sometimes I'll go get lunch. myself lunch. Like I'll finish up a private and I'll be like, oh, see so you guys, I'm going to go get food. And they're all like, fuck, I have another three privates. And they're like, can you bring me something? <laughs> <And> so like <laughs> I'll go get myself burgers and I'll come back to where the artists are teaching privates with eight burgers. And they're like, here's your one and here's your one. And here's your... And they have like 20 seconds between privates to like oh. destroy them. I can't do that. Otherwise I stop being functional and nah. the, the extra hour worth of money is not worth it.
0: Yeah. There, there is a, so. a cutoff point where like you're, yeah, you're earning a little bit more, but you're kind of spending it yeah. in some way.
1: And I think as well, I'm in a position where I don't have rent. I don't have children. I don't have a mortgage. My expenses are literally food, drinks, an occasional flight, because I do get flown most places by um, organizers. Uh-huh. Um, and um, like my phone bill. <laughs> like clothing. That's, that's my expenses. So for me, I don't have to make a certain amount of money at each event to be able to survive. To be able to pay, feed my children. To be able to pay off my mortgage and stuff. So there isn't this um, financial pressure on me at events as much as there is on some of the older artists who have whole family structures that they need to support
0: Uh uh-huh well that is good Mm. it's liberating yes okay is this your first time in the us
1: yeah it is um so i got here in october straight from zucamex in mexico and yeah i had planned to come here last year um, but obvious reasons, <laughs> COVID oh, um, that. prevented that. I forgot so. about that. <laughs> yes, we forget about that whole pandemic thing that destroyed the world. Um, but yeah, it's my first time here. I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's good. I've only got like f- eight days left or Ooh, something. It's so short. Mm, I leave on Friday. So it's kind of crazy. It went super quickly.
0: Where, where was it you were going?
1: Brazil. Brazil. Finally. COVID's been preventing me before that different gigs prevented me or just financially wasn't able to because in Brazil obviously I'm not going to be working as much as I would in other countries the amount of privates I'm going to have in Brazil is probably quite low compared to what I'm used to and then also the amount you actually get paid for privates in Brazil is less as well so for me to go to Brazil that is all about my training it's all about my development as a professional so Previous to now, I haven't had the financial means to just go. And then you had COVID in the way when I did have the financial means. Uh So, yeah, it's um, I wanted to go um, late last year, like this pretty much this day last year um, and go to some events. But the COVID situation made it completely unsafe Uh because apart from anything else, you, you just couldn't get a bed in the hospital at that point. So even if you didn't get COVID, if you got hit by a car or you've got um, Zika virus or you got stabbed (laughs) in the street, like if anything happened to you, you wouldn't have been able to get a bed in the ER. Yeah. So just that alone was enough to me go, um, nope. And now they're, they're all over their vaccination program. And so the COVID cases have gone down. And so there are now beds in the hospitals and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I can, I can deal enough.
0: It's a little insurance policy of sorts now in case you get
1: yes like that's pretty much at the moment in terms of covid my requirement personally because i'm vaccinated and i've had covid my personal requirement for do i go to this country is is there space in their hospital if something happens to me is there space in their hospital for me to get a bed because in terms of health insurance i'm completely covered doesn't matter what country i go to from um, being a full-time traveler i have specific insurance for that so it financially going to hospital is never going to be a consideration Uh um but in terms of like will there be space because of covid is definitely like my biggest consideration can i go to this country right now right that and like will they let me in (laughs) also yeah yes Also a thing
0: um so was traveling how did that come about was that something (laughs) like you were planning on doing already or did it kind of just happen
1: Um, so as an artist in Australia, we have an insane number of teachers in our country for Brazilian Zouk specifically. We have a huge amount of teachers and they are fucking phenomenal. There are some insane teachers in Brisbane, like Sarah and Bruno, um, Julia and Rafael and just like the, the lineup of teachers just in like single cities is more than some countries have at a higher level than some countries have. So the Australian artists are just mental community builders, mental um, performers. They're mental. They're just amazing. And so as an up-and-coming artist in Australia, I was just like, yeah, there's zero space for me here. Like, I am not going to fill a niche. There is no place where um, my vibe is, like, specifically lacking or something like that. Like, there, there is just such a range of just talent in Australia that, we don't need more teachers, mm-hmm. and I also know just personality-wise, I'm definitely better suited to coming in and being all like hype squad and like getting everyone like excited to learn, and then disappearing and coming back 12 months later and doing the same thing again. I'm personality-wise suited more for that style than the constant kind of steady growth of a community, uh-huh. um, which we know like Chinky, for instance, she's like that perfect personality for that that sort of thing where she's like constant encouragement and just this very. Humble chill presence in the community that just like keeps everyone motivated. I'm more your like, wee hi, (laughs) like high energy
0: wrecking ball that comes and makes you better.
1: (laughs) Wrecking ball that makes everyone go shit. I need to work on this. Like, um, and having that in the community constantly is not necessarily like the best direction. So I know as an artist, I'm definitely more suited to being a traveling artist and being an international. I'm using quotation marks international (laughs) artist. Um, that's going to be in the description now. (laughs) Um, so yeah, like having, um, a career as an international artist was definitely something I knew I was more suited for. And then pre COVID for about a year, I planned a 12 week tour of Europe and the plan was to then come back to Australia in June. So I left in early March and I was planning on coming back on the 1st of June, spending two or three months in Australia and then doing a second tour to US um, and South America. And I got on the plane on the 10th of March, 2020. That was
0: a faithful day. I think that was like the day
1: it. before. The 11th was the day everyone really realized everything was fucked. I got on the plane on the 10th. Well, maybe it was the 10th for the rest of the world, but Australia's the first like uh-huh. country. So like when midnight hits on New Year's Eve, we're always the first city. Sydney's always the first city that has big news eve celebration um so like we're ahead of everyone so 10th 11th for ever- 11th for australia 10th for everyone else was the day we all went oh shit this is fucked um and just as an example when i got on the plane to the netherlands there was something like 10 cases in the netherlands when i got off the plane at the first stopover which was like 16 hours later there was like 150 200 cases when I got off the plane in the Netherlands, it was like a thousand. And then by the time that first event rolled around on that weekend, it was like 3,000. And I was just oh, like, oh boy. Fuck.
0: <laughs> over the course of like two or three days, was that?
1: Yeah. And it was just like, oh yeah, no, we're screwed. And then we all thought, oh, it'll be over in three months. And then obviously not. <laughs> so was I,
0: so hopeful.
1: We were so hopeful. I remember we all were talking, um, the artists at Brazilian Dance Festival in Amsterdam, we were all having a conversation. And we all said, let's all go to Brazil and hide there because there's like no cases there right now (laughs) for like three months until this blows over. (laughs) And then um, we'll all come back and just kick off our tours where they were meant to be. And um, I was like, yeah, that's a great idea. And then we actually went to book our flights like the next day and double checked the numbers. And overnight, Brazil had gone from one case to like 10,000. And we were like, oh, they just hadn't reported them yet. Whoops. Uh (laughs) So it was like a really big, like, yeah, no, that's not happening. So I ended up trapped in Europe up until um, uh, September this year. I was in Europe. So, yeah.
0: But you were moving around Europe, right?
1: Yes. Um, I was technically homeless for the remainder of 2020. Uh I had nowhere to live until mid-January. So I was in a different person's zoo house every week all the way through, Um, I did spend a few weeks at the start at my cousin's place in the Netherlands, but there's a certain point where I can't just live with them (laughs) and things kind of slowly started to open back up and I went, oh, I can move around now. So I started moving around and I met some phenomenal people and made some amazing connections and stuff. I think as well, that period where everything was online and then having that immediate, I was traveling when no one else was, Definitely helped career-wise for me, but emotionally it was supremely fucked up. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. But I'm here now. I get to go to Brazil in a few days. Like I'm meeting all these amazing people. I finally saw my first friend from pre-COVID two week a week ago. I saw like a friend of mine who I haven't seen in two years. I haven't seen any friends in two years. I finally saw a friend, and I was like, oh my god, like crying.
0: Yeah, I know you were really excited to like see a bunch of people who are going there.
1: So Elevation was lit if for no other reason than I got to see people I knew before the pandemic, yeah. which is always nice.
0: It was great though. I still needed like write and just like think about that event a lot more.
1: <laughs> I still need sleep from that event. That is also
0: true. Because <laughs> I traveled for Thanksgiving, traveled for Elevation, and then this past weekend I drove out to go see a friend because we were playing some music
1: and... You're already like, shit, that's so much travel. That's
0: three weeks. That's a lot of, this is a lot of time that I'm on the road or a plane.
1: Mm. Now imagine every single week. Yeah, I know. Of the year. I don't want to. (laughs) It's a lot, but it's also like a really interesting way to live. And you meet some incredible people and things that make other people really nervous and scared then become just like... Second nature and home, mm-hmm. like you become so comfortable in an airport. Yeah, like talking to immigration is like a non-event <laughs> because it's just like, "Hey man, how are you going?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, like chatting." And they're like, they see how chill you are. It's like not even a thing. Um, I know a lot of the nomads out there have said that they can find food and somewhere to sleep in any airport in the world if they need to. Like they're just like so used to airports, mm-hmm. so we're always finding places to dance when we've got 10 hour layovers or whatever and chilling out in a lounge somewhere someone always has a first class to one of the lounges in that one of the lounges if you're with a group there's always someone in a group of nomads who has that airports like specific vip program nice. thing that first class program so it's really you learn things you you learn hacks and sneaky things and all this stuff
0: that's my first time hearing about that, so I've learned something too. <laughs> Not that I'm gonna be in that position anytime yes, if soon. If you're a
1: Zuka, always travel with the nomads. We all have the sneaky ways to get through things.
0: <laughs> well, you've uh you moved around a lot, so I'm mm. sure you've gotten to be able to get a feel of sort of all the areas you've been in. Do you notice like with any any communities that there's like certain specific like attitudes or feelings or vibes Um, that you really enjoy?
1: Um, Every city has different positives and different negatives and stuff like that. But there's a lot of reoccurring themes and that's dependent on basically the kind of profile of the community. So for instance, um, in Richmond, we're very follow heavy here. So we have a lot of female leaders. And I noticed the more follow heavy you are, the more really good follows, uh, really good female leaders there are. Uh So in Sydney, for instance, where there are an amazing amount of really amazing female leads, you notice that there's just a lot of women in the scene compared to the guys. If you look at, for instance, Brisbane in Australia, there's less amazing female leaders because there is less need. So I've noticed that pattern kind of reoccurs. There's less, there's way less female leaders in New York. I think I met two when I was there. Uh Because they just don't need to. There's so many damn leaders. There's no, there's zero need. There's New York. If you're a follow and you want to frigging dance all night and not have to lead once you go to New York, (laughs) there's so many leaders. It's amazing. That's
0: why so many people are going there in like a month or so.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely like different cities have different kind of profiles and different things to enjoy and different downsides, of course, as well. Uh But yeah, I think... I love seeing how the different communities vibe with each other and what kind of things they all get up to. And everyone has different like community building activities. So here we drink a lot of beer.
0: <laughs> this is Richmond.
1: This is Richmond here. We're, there's a lot of beer drinking, a lot of food eating. Um, everyone's going rock climbing, I think this week. So there's a lot of like doing things outside of completely outside of dance, not even in time with the dancing stuff. Um, where I'm from in Sydney, we go out after dancing at like 3 a.m. and eat at like these 24-hour restaurants. They're just amazing. So we all get to know each other at like 3 a.m. when we're all half unconscious. And...
0: Well, we have terrible 3 a.m. restaurants if you really need that.
1: Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> we have amazing 3 a.m. restaurants in Australia. Yeah, there's a, there's a 24-hour pancake house, which is just amazing. we all go to that at 3 a.m. after social dancing, 4 a.m.
0: I think our good pancake houses are only open for like Saturday and Sunday brunch. Fair enough. So you could just dance until then and then go.
1: Yeah, you have to stay up till sunrise. That's always, yeah, that happens a lot as well. You get the staying up till sunrise socials like at Elevation. People staying up till 10 a.m. to dance, you crazy bastards. (laughs) I was up at 10 a.m. to teach, so I was like, no, I'm going to bed at 5. <laughs> I think
0: I had gone to bed and woken up before people had stopped dancing. Mm-hmm. It was kind of yeah. crazy.
1: Yeah, you come back down and you're like, why can I still hear music playing? <laughs> like, You get really confused. Like, is there privates going on? That's awful loud for privates. Like,
0: Well, yes, but also mm. people still dancing.
1: Yeah, you walk into the ballroom and you're like, oh, crap, there's still 30 people on the floor. What's going on? <laughs>
0: All right, so let's go back a little bit. Mm. How long have you just been dancing in general?
1: Oh, we're going way back. Okay. Um, I started dancing in 2015. Yeah, 2015, 2016. So it's been like seven years now. And what were you doing then? Um, So I was actually at university and I just spent nearly two years on bed rest because I'd been really unwell and completely undiagnosed and I got diagnosed and this, my doctor said, you need to do this, 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 to make sure you're still healthy. And one of those things was doing a really large amount of exercise every week. And I went practically, how the hell am I going to do that in winter? Cause every sport I did was surfing, swimming, diving. Like, uh, yes. Everything for me is open, ocean based. And when the water is like 11 degrees, when the water's like 11 degrees it's like it's too damn cold I'm not going in there um so I had to find a hobby that I could do in winter and I was like oh what the hell can I do and then one of the girls at university managed to get me into a a salsa and bachata classes and I was like ooh, what's this I like it And it was like the first couple of weeks, I was like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. This is great. And then someone was like, come on social. So I went out to the massive, massive Wednesday night socials we have in Australia. And I just went, oh, I like this. (laughs) (laughs) This is my jam. And I just ended up going social like every single week and getting completely hooked on it. And then, yeah, it just kind of grew from there, learning different styles and growing as a dancer.
0: Now you, you studied some something to do with anatomy and. I school,
1: did right? um, what's essentially in Australia pre-med
0: pre-med okay
1: so I did um, human anatomy and neuroscience as my majors um, so I did a lot of um, playing around with dead bodies in the lab essentially um, which is something you get used to far too quickly um, but I like to joke that I've seen more penises on trays than I have seen penises on men <laughs> and like that that record was broken for basically every woman in my course in one class when they just brought out a tray with just the front pelvises of male anatomy and it was every guy in the class just took a step back and kind of held himself and every woman was like oh dick on a tray <laughs> like um so Yeah, um, there was just a lot of every single day, dead bodies and learning anatomy and then also um, learning about treatment and um, research in terms of um, medical field and stuff like that. So it was really cool. And then the more I danced and realized that dancing was what I was going to do, even as I was finishing my degree, I already knew I was doing this. Like I was still doing my degree while COVID was happening. I was doing my last course online. Um, so finally graduated.
0: Oh yeah. Like congratulations.
1: Six months ago I graduated. So yay. Um, but yeah, like realizing that I wanted to do dancing and stuff and integrating the neuroscience I was learning and the muscle anatomy and physiology and all these other things was really a cool way to progress. And I would do a course, a class on ankle structure and my, multiple spins would improve overnight because all of a sudden I understood what muscles I'd need to engage and what tendons I needed and all these sorts of things to do certain moves. So it was really cool to see how my anatomy knowledge really quickly was integrating with what I was learning in my dance classes Mm -hmm. at the same time. So it was really cool.
0: So like, it wasn't, it wasn't like you went in as an artist using this to like improve your art, but it just ended up happening.
1: Um, I went in with the intention of becoming a surgeon I got sick, found out I wouldn't be able to work in ORs because I'm immune compromised and practicality reasons that's just completely unfeasible. Um, and then also to do with my disease specifically, the amount of hours you need to do as a resident and stuff, I, I can't function on an 80-hour week. That's just not going to ever happen for me. Um And yeah, just realizing that I needed to change the way I was living my life. And at the same time, I'm getting hooked into this dancing world. My entire social life had become that dancing world because I went from bed rest to addicted to dancing overnight. So all my friends had already kind of moved on with their lives from two years of not really talking to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then all of a sudden I had this like complete addiction to dancing so it became my social life. And then very quickly I started, I was asked to teach a class or assist a class um, and realized I really enjoyed teaching and I hadn't taught in a while. Um, I used to teach circus and stuff um, and getting, yeah, just very addicted to it all. And yeah, just kind of very much shifting the way I was thinking about life, which now that COVID has happened, I'm so fucking grateful I didn't become a doctor <laughs> I would have been working in an OR when COVID hit. No, thank you.
0: I think you might have still ended up a dance teacher given how many people are...
1: Quitting, yeah. Like, you know,
0: just a snap of the fingers and they're out.
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting for me, like, I would not have found dance if I hadn't gotten as sick as I did. I spent two years thinking I was dying and all the various trauma that comes from that and all these other things, and everyone's like, oh, like, don't you wish you weren't sick and don't you wish you didn't get all this stuff and everything. And like, um, knowing that this disease shortens my lifespan and all this sort of stuff. Everyone's always like, really like, Oh God, I'm so sorry for you. And I'm like, well, I'm not because if I hadn't had this, I never would have realized what I wanted to do with my life. Or I would have realized it at a point where I was too old and it was too late. And I think I would have been fucking miserable as a surgeon. (laughs) I like it in theory, but I think in practice I would have been absolutely miserable. Mm. And doing what my absolute passion is as my job is just amazing. And I can work a fucking 80-hour week as a dance teacher because it gives me so much energy. Yeah. So it's, it's a bit of a different way to kind of focus what happens to you and stuff. Like you always have these weird silver linings. So I would never have found dance if I hadn't gotten sick and... I'd be whew, a COVID doctor. Icky. <laughs> <laughs> icky. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's I think that's what they say every night. Ugh, icky. <laughs> All right, so what was the moment where you decided like I'm gonna I'm gonna go pro, I'm gonna be a dance instructor and make that of my living?
1: So I'd already been teaching casually. Um, for the Union Society and a few different other places and stuff. And then um, my friend Brian, shout out to Brian if you ever hear this, my friend Brian from Sydney, everyone in the Sydney dancing scene will know exactly who I mean when I say Brian. Um, He encouraged me to literally just message this organiser for an event in Hawaii and ask if I could teach and this was like oh god four years ago now, five years ago and ask if I could teach at their Congress, because I really wanted to go to this Congress in Hawaii, but there was no way. I was still in uni and everything. There was 0% chance I could afford it, but it fell on uni holidays. And I was like, I want to go to Hawaii. I want to go to this Congress. And Brian was like, you're amazing. You're so good at your job. You know your shit, blah, blah, blah. Like, we were teaching some classes together at the time as well. And he was like, you're incredible. You can do this. Just fucking message the organizer. I guarantee he'll say Yes. And this is like 3 a.m. at a party um, <laughs> and we're sitting on a couch. Program. I'm quite drunk and we wrote a message together and I just looked at it and went, screw it. And I hit send. And then the next day, the organizer came back with, yeah, of course. And I had met this organizer before, so like, he knew me, he knew how I taught and everything. Um, so, yeah, I, I messaged him and he came back with, yes, of course you can teach. Like, let's have a phone call and set it up. And I was like, what? what, what? <laughs> I can actually do this as my job? This could actually be my job. And yeah, like from that, all of a sudden I was like, oh wow, I could actually do this. And then unfortunately a whole bunch of shit happened that meant I couldn't go to Hawaii.
0: That year. Oh, that's a shame. I was
1: so sad. Uh, what even happened? I can't even remember what it was that got in the way of the, that specific Hawaii trip. Um, yeah, something happened with the Congress. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I just, I realized, oh wow, I'm actually marketable and I actually could do this and organizers will in fact hire me. Crap okay, let's see what I can do here. And then that trip, that first initial trip, that trip through Europe I wanted to do, that was my how do I fit into the um, international group, like the international teacher group? How do I fit in as like an artist, like in terms of how the students perceive us and what niche can I fill properly? And that was meant to be like my big kind of growth time which I had to skip unfortunately <laughs> but I had to find that on my feet unfortunately but yeah it's been an interesting challenge but yeah it all happened kind of extremely slowly over the course of like three years of oh I can do this and maybe I can do a tour and maybe I can do this to holy crap everyone knows who I am now <laughs> what happened <laughs> just purely from COVID hitting and having all that online exposure
0: yeah and on that note, I was just writing that down so I wouldn't forget, but you brought it up anyway. Uh, online teaching. Oof. What Thoughts?
1: <laughs> I hate it. 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 With every fiber of my being, I hate it. That being said, Zoo Lounge did keep me sane. Uh-huh. It kept me sane at a time where I was falling the fuck apart. So seeing everyone like that was amazing. But for me as a teacher, I feed off the energy of my class and that hypes me up and gets my kind of vibe going. So if my class is super sad energy, I can start to kind of tweak that or if they're super nervous or whatever, I can tweak it and sort of build the energy up. But you need this reciprocal situation coming through. Mm -hmm. I make a joke, people laugh, I get body language, um, or we do a move and someone gets something right and they do a little happy dance and you can physically see them do their little happy dance or whatever. And then online you have these tiny little cubes in front of you with everyone's little faces and you can't really see what they're doing and it's really hard to give clear, concise feedback or physical kinesthetic feedback. Yeah. And you have to be in charge of the entire class and every single aspect of the energy in the room and it's freaking impossible to read the room because there is no room. Everyone's in their own spaces. And you don't know if I teach this, does this student not have enough space to actually execute this in the room they're in? Are they on carpet? Are they on wood? What are they like? It, there's so many variables and it's so complex. It just drains you. So for me, when I usually finish a real life class, my immediate response is let's social dance. I want to dance. Let's go. I have energy. La, 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 really high. Even if I'm like exhausted when the class starts, at the end of the class, I'm ready to social. Mm-hmm. But um, with online stuff, we do our online class and I would just go to bed. Like, I'd finish the class, I'd log off, I'd send the file to all the students with the video recording, and I would just be like, night, and, like, walk into my room and go to bed. <laughs> it was really rough.
0: It's a little anticlimactic.
1: Yeah, except for, obviously, like, the Zook Lounge things, because we had all those teachers in those classes, like, the online congresses. You would have 30 teachers in your workshop, all creating energy sending messages into the chat so you weren't responsible for that vibe but like when you're teaching solo on your own weekly online classes it's exhausting yeah (laughs) and i do not miss it um i very occasionally teach online privates so shout out if you want to do an online private with me feel free i do enjoy those still um but online group classes no do not like do not enjoy too hard
0: yeah So speaking from the other perspective, as a person who did a couple of online classes, it it really did depend on like where I was doing it because Mm. I I moved at some point during the during 2020 and my first half, like I had a nice floor. I had like a pretty open space. It wasn't squeaking constantly. I was alone most of the time. So like I could just like focus and not be super self-conscious about like fucking up or anything, but then I, I moved into an apartment with very squeaky floors. I had a crowded bedroom. Um
1: housemate, I'm guessing. A what? housemate?
0: Yeah, two two housemates. Um, well, it changed, like, the enjoyability of the experience a lot. Mm. Yeah. And also just, again, not having, like, the, the feedback that you need to know, like, could I improve this if I just knew this one little detail, one little piece of information?
1: Yeah. And when you can't see like muscle movement and stuff, as a teacher who relies so heavily on like anatomy, like I can't see that in a class. So as a student, you're not getting like your full thing. Like one on one classes are better because the student's like 10 times the size. Yeah. But when you're this tiny little one inch square, nope, doesn't happen. <laughs> it's so hard. So yeah, I'm I'm grateful for online classes. Like when they happened, they I needed them. But if you asked me to run regular online classes now, I'd be like, no, I have real life now. Thank you. <laughs> like yeah, it was a great alternative when there was no alternative. Uh-huh. Like but for compared to real life now, it's just not my thing.
0: Yeah, and and like now it is it is nice to have all this material though because mm. be- whereas before. Online classes really weren't a thing. It was just like these people are teaching or like they're they're showing a move, but there there wasn't the level of detail that there is yeah, in you got classes that from, since twenty twenty.
1: You got that from Carlos and Fernanda and Cadu Larissa's online courses. I don't think anyone else had real online courses before COVID in terms of the Zook artists. But um even them, I saw a difference in their teaching from start of COVID to now, the way they teach online. Yeah. Just, we all shifted drastically. We learned a lot from watching other teachers teach online. The way you teach online is just a completely different framework to how you teach in real life. Yeah. It's really, really a learning curve. I think a lot of the artists did an incredible job shifting across to online. you got people like Sydney Schiff, who just did freaking phenomenal. Jessica Lambdon's classes were so much fun. Uh, Felipe Lira's online femme styling stuff was freaking so enjoyable. Like, yeah, some of the teachers really shifted amazingly to online and then others struggled probably because they hated it as much as I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you could see a progression in everyone's online teaching is very different now.
0: Uh, who are some of your biggest influences in either just like teaching or just in how you want to be as a dancer? aside from instructing
1: oh my gosh there's so many as an actual dancer um fuck like all of them (laughs) this is the problem like i love elements from everyone's dance like as a follow i adore the amount of control paloma has of her movement i love like jessica's styling like the freedom brenda has in her movement um uh, Alini's creativity, Alini Claito's creativity, like so many of the artists just, there's like one thing I want to steal from each of them. I want to steal Felipe Lira's spins, for instance. So I'm like, just like, oh, how you spin, gimme, mm-hmm. gimme, gimme. Like, I want to steal like specific elements from like each person. And it's just like every artist, I every time I see a new person in a lineup, I'm like, who are you? And I start watching their videos. I'm like, holy shit, I want this. I want to do this. Like, how do they do that? So for me i want to be like the frankenstein monster of everyone's like elements that i like from them and just kind of build my own very much i don't specifically want to be like one person if that makes sense
0: yeah that makes total sense Mm. what about um starting off who uh who'd you start off with just like as learning zook or anything
1: Like my very first Zouk class or my first like Zouk crush in terms of teachers?
0: Well, both. Why not?
1: My very first Zouk class was in Sydney with Brad. um, And that was freaking so long ago. It was at Tropical Soul. It was just regular weekly classes. Um, He teaches an amazing foundational course and everything. Um, And my first dance crush from Zouk was Brenda. Brenda. Uh I saw... Like, I liked watching other people dancing and stuff. And then I saw a video of Brenda and Kuna at YZUK. The one with all the lights in the background, if you guys know which one I mean, that goes really fast, Cavalier. And I remember seeing that video back in, like, 2018 and just going, who the fuck is this? This is amazing. And I honestly think that video is the thing that made me switch as an artist. I was still teaching a lot of salsa bachata. At the time, and that was the thing that made me go, never mind, <laughs> Just and focus more on Zook than the others.
0: Cool. Mm. What are some of the standout events that you've been to in these times?
1: Uh, okay, well, there's obviously all the Australian events Razuki, Kazu the Zook, Brisbane Zook Festival, freaking amazing. Um, Zook Station, which is this tiny little Congress um, DJ Alexi runs. Um, and then you've also got anything Julinia and Thiago run in Cologne is amazing. Julinha organizationally, she just freaking destroys it. She has everything lined up perfectly all the time. Her events have the best like community mindset, and they're just so much fun. Um, Elevation was... Bruno and Faye can put on a bloody Congress. That was a good Congress. Like, that was one of the most well-run, well-timed Congresses I've been to. Most people try and squish too much into not enough time and everything runs late. Mm -hmm. They had everything timed so well. The Jack and Jill's finished early. And I was like, what the... Jack and Jill finishing early? What's going on? So, yeah, just... Phenomenal event. I loved Elevation.
0: And especially considering how many people they had.
1: Yeah, 500 people is a bit of a nightmare to control. You do have to have an awesome volunteer team, which we had some crazy amazing volunteers, and you need an awesome lineup who were willing to kind of work with you on those things and not put their own ego and bullshit into it, which mm-hmm. that lineup is really nice. Like, those, they're all lovely people, amazing artists, amazing teachers. So it was really cool to see like my first proper event in the U S everything else I've done here has been just my own little weekenders. So yeah, it's elevation for me is such a standout. It might also be that I'm just super dance deprived and I don't quite remember how good for and Casa de and stuff are. Um, but in terms of Europe, I haven't really got to experience a proper European Congress mm-hmm. because there haven't been any. Yeah. The first one I went to, the first thing I went to was Giulia's, um, kind of mini congress in cologne back in july 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 um and that was maybe a hundred people but yeah nothing on that scale not in europe yet
0: now when you're dancing what are your like your favorite little things to do like i know you mentioned you want to steal like this and this from these artists but what what makes you happy
1: Uh, for me if do you know what the dance love languages are
0: say it but I think I might have heard it
1: so the dance love languages uh, you have um, I believe it's energy playfulness um, challenge musicality connection I think that's all of them. There's probably one more that I never remember because I probably don't care about (laughs) (laughs) That happens with the actual love languages when I think about them too. Um, But for me, my three are challenge, connection, and musicality. If you give me connection, musicality, I'm super, super happy. If you add in some challenge, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm like, oh, gimme, gimme, gimme. If you don't give me any of them, I'm like, I'm so bored. (laughs) I need one of those things at least, um, which pretty much almost anyone can give you one of those things as long as they're present in the dance. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, I love like doing micro, what I call micro hijacking. So I'm not like taking over a whole move or something, but you'll give me a move and I'll go, Oh, you've given me some downward energy here so I can turn that into a slot drop. And I'll like just hit the floor and like body roll up. And I, I won't affect the leader's timing or something like that. Um, but you just give them this little like indication, like I'm going to play here and I love just, like, chucking in something into the music.
0: Taking your moment.
1: Taking my moment, yeah. Like, if a leader's going to miss, like, something crazy in the music and I just want to add a little bit of energy, I love doing that. Um, And I also just love styling in a way that, like, adds to the leader's intention. So if the leader's trying to give me something really big and open and, like, round in my movement, I'll try and do something with my arm that kind of creates that effect so like there's an extension from what they can lead then gets extended like a foot and a half of my arm like Mm -hmm. so I love like adding not just like my own flavor and styling but adding um more shape to movement
0: cool um now I know there are there's so many different songs that can play in a Zook social uh, sometimes they're they're quite surprising. Yeah, like I heard "Hurt" by Johnny Cash more than once at the <laughs> elevation. I'm like, I wouldn't recognize
1: that's... that. I have no idea. Everyone's like Johnny Cash. I'm like, who the fuck is Johnny Cash?
0: Well, the, you should listen to the original one. Just so okay. like you, you generally know the vibe. That one's actually a cover, though. It wasn't mm. even a Johnny Cash original song, but that's like a
1: cover. Of, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, cover of a cover. Um, mm. but I I wouldn't think that would be something I hear at a dance event, which is generally mm a little more like up and like happy, but what Some of my
1: favorite dances I've had have been sad as hell to be fair.
0: Mm-hmm. What are the types of what, what type of music do you really vibe with?
1: I say this about everything in my dancing variety is the spice of life. Uh-huh. I love playing with range. Um, so I love like finding where another person is at. And if it like fits in with the song, like it's just magic so for me they're like specific songs i cannot do anymore <laughs> but there isn't like a specific energy i always want to dance to so for instance please for the love of god don't play breathe or desposito if you are a dj just no no not anymore i can't handle them
0: i can <laughs> say that even um dancing salsa "Despacito," salsa <sighs> remix went no. was nuts
1: at any bachata remixes of songs that are freaking fire on their own they're amazing and then bachata brings them down energy wise i'm like what are you doing like all these reggaeton crazy like that one that came out this year i can't remember what it's called it's in spanish i can't remember the name of it but this one came out this year it was like everyone's anthem and Zuke max is crazy uh, oh yeah so- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but i can't remember that. um and then you hear the bachata remix. It's like it's just like sad and depressing sounding. Like don't remix shit and make it worse, please. There are certain songs, um, like Best Part, for me. Like if you play Best Part at a social, it best be the original. <laughs> that song is just perfection on its own. But then you have something like Fear of the Water by um, SYML, which DJ Kaka took. She took an oh, she took a decent song and then just made it like it's straight up my, it's been my favorite Zouk song for years and it will still be my Zouk song, favorite Zouk song for years. It's just so fire. So yeah, for me, music, music wise, like the songs I want to play depend on my energy and depend on the person I'm dancing with. If I'm dancing with someone like William Teixeira, I want to dance hip hop and like more high energy and more um, groovy vibes. Uh-huh. If I'm dancing with someone like Guy Prada, I want to have some more like mellow floaty or maybe even some lambada vibes. If I'm dancing with Felipe Lira, I either want lambada or some like queen anthem vibe, like just like absolutely slay song. That's just completely sassy as all hell. Like, so we can be stupid (laughs) (laughs) because we do do that every time a song that we can like, do whacking to or twerking. If you saw the Jack and Jill, um, marshalling in elevation, you know, me and Felipe like to twerk. Um, yeah. If we can play with some silly songs or whatever, like we love that. And, but like what I want to dance to will really shift depending on what music's playing. And the same way, if I run straight past you at a social and you're trying to get my attention, it's probably because a specific song is playing and I'm like, I need someone to match this.
0: Mm -hmm. So you're like looking for someone specific at that point.
1: Yeah. Sometimes a certain vibe comes on. And even if it's like one of the top artists asking me to dance, if they just don't fit the energy of what's happening, I'm like, uh, can I dance with you in 10 minutes? Like this is not going to work. <laughs> like, so I think like sometimes I'm always, yeah, I'm always trying to fit my energy with the person I'm dancing with, but also like finding something we can play with in the music together.
0: Mm. Cool. Mm. All right. Let's move on to some fun travel related questions you're a big yeah. traveler on my show so okay um just oh, a, a bunch of what it, what's the term used for this we'll fill it in in post
1: tidbits <laughs> yeah
0: sure quick quick questions um rapid fire questions yes so what places had the best food so far
1: oh shit um oh god maybe portugal Okay. Oh, Spain, no Spain. 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 Uh-huh. Mm. Spain.
0: Favorite thing there?
1: Um, pinches restaurants. There it's kind of like tapas meets sushi train.
0: <laughs> That's an interesting one.
1: It's not like mm. not um not food wide logistically. It's tapas meets sushi train. But in terms of what the actual food you eat is still very very Spanish.
0: Uh-huh. Okay. It's cool. Um, best drinks.
1: Country of the best drinks Mexico, baby. Mexico. <laughs> super cheap, super delicious, very strong. <laughs> yeah.
0: Did you have any mescal down there?
1: I did. Yeah.
0: That stuff's wild.
1: Mostly, I just stuck to the margaritas, though. I'm not a big drinker of straight tequila. Uh huh.
0: right, Happiest people.
1: Happiest people. I can only think of like who was like the most depressing people. <laughs> think the opposite. happiest people. Yeah, maybe the guys in Mexico. Everyone was just super high energy. Every person I met was like, "Hey, how you going?" The Brazilians are well, like, but I haven't been to Brazil. I haven't been to Brazil yet, but the Brazilians I know from outside of Brazil are always so upbeat and high energy.
0: So i will have to ask this again at another point after that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Ask me in June when I come back.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, now just going back to Richmond. Hmm. Best meal here.
1: Best meal in Richmond. I don't know. We haven't gone out that much. We've done a lot of, like, I've done a lot of cooking at home. I keep making me and shinky ramen and lasagna and things. That's good. Maybe the sushi place near Havana.
0: Miyabi, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Have you gone to Chicken Fiesta yet? (laughs) (laughs) This is for you, man.
1: Don't come for me, Richmond people. (laughs) No, I have not. I don't care. I don't, I don't it's not on my bucket list like fast food and, yeah whatever
0: but it's like it is pretty good <laughs> for like a peruvian style chicken place oh uh, so. it's peruvian okay good yeah to know. Well,
1: i didn't even know style. that yeah
0: um up in like the nova dc area you can get better food of course but <laughs> it's like it's it's an acceptable
1: acceptable fast yeah. food i keep going to sonic because i like their slushies okay fair enough mm.
0: Other than Brazil, places you want to hit up?
1: Oh, gosh. In terms of just travel, I want to go to the Maldives. I also want to go home. Australia, yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, places I want to hit up. I want to hit up for dancing. I haven't been for Zouk in Spain yet. I really would love to check out um, the Spanish scene. Um, I really want to go bit more in Paris. I haven't really experienced the Zouk scene there. London. I really want to check out the London Zouk scene. I want to do some tango in Argentina. Um, And also Singapore. I really want to check out the Singapore Zouk scene. It's really really incredible from what I've seen um, from all my friends going there constantly for um, Singapore Zouk Festival and stuff and what Cheryl puts up on her social media and everything. Mm -hmm. Cheryl's the Singapore organizer, just FYI, people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's been your favorite venue
1: Favorite venue in terms of just, like, social dancing or, like, Congress venue?
0: Uh, social dancing venue, we'll say.
1: Hmm.
0: So, I I think the social dancing venue is so important for the community.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Honestly, I'm always, like, I've always enjoyed the actual dancing in studios more.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: But I enjoy the vibe when we have a social at a bar more. Um yeah so it's kind of it's kind of different energies like there's always better dancing at a studio we always have better dance floors there's no weird stuff going on a glass or things like that right you're not worried about your dance shoes getting destroyed um but yeah and also like one of my favorite favorite places to dance is directly underneath the harbour bridge in sydney the sydney harbour bridge there's a spot directly under it that's just beautiful um super fun spot to dance and you can fit like probably like 500 people dancing there if you wanted. honestly we usually only have like fifteen, but still <laughs>
0: it sounds like a sounds like it could be a pretty cool like
1: party or like a yeah. flash
0: mob sort of thing.
1: Mm. well it's too much out of the way for a flash mob um it's kind of like hidden, but yeah
0: okay, well, I think we're getting close to the end now, but do you have any shout outs that you like to? God, so there.
1: many shout outs, frigging Richmond crew, you guys are legends, um, you guys made me feel so amazingly welcome living here, like from my first, I remember my first night, Mimi was like, do you want to come get margaritas and go up shopping Aww. with me, and I was like, hell yeah, I want to go, up." Uh, sorry, thrift shopping, um, I was like, hell yeah, I want to go thrift shopping, let's go, um, and like, I, like two days later, I went and had Taco Tuesday with Daisy and Molly, and then... Warren invited me to something and we ended up at Warren's family's house for Thanksgiving and just the community here you guys have been amazingly welcoming and just so friendly since day one it's been so good um and then uh all oh, my Australian friends I miss you guys <laughs> shout out to all the Aussie dancers and Aussie Zucchieros um there are so many people Like, this is one of the things when you travel as much as I do, you have so many friends all over the world and you just can't even keep everyone straight. You're like, wait, where's this person? So, yeah, just everyone. I miss everyone. I miss you all. I can't wait to see you all. Come dance with me wherever I am, please. (laughs) Yeah. All
0: right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time away from your pre-class evening. (laughs) Yeah. It's been really nice to talk to you. Like, I haven't done that very much at the yeah, socials we and whatnot had a to chat much, yeah no. um, it's one of the nice things about doing a podcast you get to talk to everyone go into depth mm. all these things cool but yeah thanks so much thanks for tuning in if you have any questions or comments about our conversations or would like to appear in a future episode of the podcast send an email to dancingquestions at gmail.com her theme song is kiss and tell breezy Bossa Nova. Keshko. The photograph used in our artwork was taken by Ardian Lumi, available on Unsplash. Logo and artwork were created by Lydia Francis. Please visit our website for links and further details. Also, follow us on Instagram, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up with our latest content.